Welcome to Build Beyond Bricks, the Western Sydney Community Forum podcast. A place to learn, share, connect and explore using analysis and insights to lead and shape the future of communities. Hello and welcome to our podcast today, which is all about building communities. My name is Tom Nance from the team at Western Sydney Community Forum and I'm your host today for our conversation. Today is one of our COVID-19 specials where we unpack the impacts on agencies and communities who are at the forefront of this pandemic. We can also, through this, share our ideas, thoughts, tools and experiences so we can support each other in servicing local communities across Greater Western Sydney. Our guest today is Cubby Cubby First Nations man Ken Zolomovsky. He is the recipient of an honorary doctorate from the University of Sydney for his outstanding contribution to Australian society. He is the founder and managing director of Gamarada Universal Indigenous Resources. Welcome, Ken. Hello, Tom. So, Ken, how have you had to adapt your work since the emergence of COVID-19 and what has worked for you? (laughs) Well, it's still early days to answer what's working for us at this stage. We have had some success in our community healing and cultural leadership program, which is our foundation program. It's been running in Redfern for 580 weeks. And the transition to online for that program was a first for us. It was a direct result of COVID-19 and it presented a number of challenges. I mean, you know, community healing, cultural leadership in the Indigenous context, how do you do that? How do you move from the physical world of sitting in a room with 25 people with props and resources in the centre of the room with your overhead projector and your media clips ready to go, with your clap sticks ready to go, your resources in hand, all the prompts on the floor, you know, the physical aspects of it, the awards that we give each week and each period of time, the vests and the caps, the wristbands. How do you move all that stuff online? How do you convey that therapeutic connection that feeling of safety for those individuals, that motivation and courage to move them through fear into confidence, to own their voice, to take their part in the program, to get up and speak, to facilitate and to to begin the training of the program. It did present a number of challenges, Tom, and uh, it's been an experiment for the last six or seven weeks. It's, It's proved that it has worked for us. The numbers are half of what they usually are. However, it's in my view that from witnessing the participation online, that therapeutic exchange and seeing people be vulnerable online, people trusting each other, people um, challenging themselves, people connecting, people connecting to other people online. I think it's working. I think it's working, Tom. I think it's working possibly as effectively uh, in, in, in most cases but I don't know because I, I haven't done the research uh, to, to ask the participants who are not there anymore what's got in the way of their participation and their engagement. I know that uh, resources are a factor. I know that you know IT literacy is a massive factor for our mobs. Having enough data and credit is a massive factor. Just having a smartphone is sometimes a factor. But uh, there's an example of what's working and, and what, we've, what we've had to adapt since the emergence of COVID-19. 
And on the other things that um, we've had to adapt with our, with our, with our work with Camerata Universal Indigenous Resources, because a lot of our work, as you know, is involved in workforce training and development, you know, cultural safety training, cultural supervision, leadership training, corporal governance training. A lot of that work is done face-to-face and we've had to adapt some of it, not all of it, for <clears throat> online medium. We, uh, I guess two things that, that, we've, that we've worked on um, is our cultural safety training, moving that to, to an uh, online platform and our teacher training, classroom safety and self-care for teachers and students is a NESA accredited one-day workshop. Those are two programs that we've worked on to adapt for the online environment, which I think is uh, pretty good. I think it's pretty good for everyone because now uh, they have two options, you know, they can access it online or they can access it face-to-face after COVID-19 restrictions are lifted. And definitely one of the things you're alluding to, which we've been hearing a lot, is that that challenge to creating the holding environment you need to do a work in the therapeutic space or, or the work in the education space, that whole the environment you need to, to really make participants feel comfortable to, to be vulnerable, to, to do the work. And that's definitely something that, that we've grappled as well with at, at Western Sydney Community Forum. One of the, uh, I guess, uh, other things as well I'd like to ask is obviously COVID-19 has had a, an impact on people's mental health and well-being. Um, and what we've seen in recent times is the uh, portfolio uh, of mental health has been elevated to the Chief Medical Officers Unit mm. for the first time. What um, opportunities do you think that this brings both in the short term and in the long term? <laughs> I see opportunities for people to get to know themselves. <laughs> <laughs> to get to know themselves and their uh, their partners a bit better. With all this sort of, you know, isolation time, you know, people have had opportunities to sit at home, to reflect on what they're doing and there's been less distra- there's been less activity and less distraction. And so there's been more quiet time to sit, you know, with stillness and to reflect a wonderful outcome of it is that people have had a chance to sit still and reflect and maybe meditate, get to know themselves a little bit better, you know, get to work through whatever comes up for themselves when they're sitting quiet. And that can be a really positive start to growth and transformation and evolution. On the relationship side, I was having a conversation with a friend the other day and, and he said, um, he said, I'm hearing a lot of people uh, in relationships. Um, they've had so much time together now that they've actually got an opportunity to get to know each other a lot better than what they would have. Because all this time together is a bit unusual. You know, like three months being locked down, working in the same house together uh, and living uh, every day in a relationship is the equivalent to probably nine months of normal face-to-face interaction. So that can be challenging for relationships because uh, people might decide that <laughs> they're learning things about their partner they didn't know or they don't like or whatever, which is, again, an opportunity for growth, you know, and transformation. A lot of the success of relationships is being able to suffer it out together, you know, whatever comes up, you know, remain committed and suffer it out. So this environment has given us some opportunity to uh, sit with each other, sit with ourselves and start to maybe identify whether or not we might need some help in the mental health space, you know, is it time to call a doctor and organise a mental health care plan and access the free online psychology that's uh, available through the government initiative? 
is it time to visit a support group, you know, jump online and visit the, any number of support groups for, you know, the GA Gamblers Anonymous or the AA Anonymous or the Codependents Anonymous or the Overeaters Anonymous or the Overspenders Anonymous. And there's a thousand groups, right? A chance to, you know, jump online and access some of that support. Is it time to, yeah, look at your mental health and, and uh, put, some, put some focus on that? So I think it's good. I think it's really good, Tom. I think you asked how the impact, how I think it's, it's impacted on people's mental health. And you, uh, you mentioned that the, uh, leading to the portfolio being elevated to the chief medical officer's unit for the first time. I think you know, this country, this society has made a lot of progress in the last 10 or so years in the mental health space. Mental health has become destigmatized. People are talking about it. They're using it in everyday language now. Some aspects of mental health have become destigmatized, others may not. But I think it's really, really, really positive because we know that mental health is huge in our society. And we know that, you know, particularly from big insurance companies, a number of their claims, actually the highest number of their claims are related to mental health. So it has a huge impact on the economy, on our productivity, on the workplace, morale, on the family, you know, and then on relationships. So um, I'm, I have a mental health background. It's, it's, it's my field. Any progress in the mental health space is great progress for our country. And so I'd like to see that continue and I'd like to see it continue, not just us doing what we've always done because some of what we've always done doesn't work. If it did work, we wouldn't have mental health in our society be such a huge issue and we wouldn't have the numbers of uh, suicides that happen in this country, 45 a week, more than 3,000 a year. We wouldn't have the number of people running to the doctors for a fix-it pill. We wouldn't have the number of violence, the, the incidences of violence, uh, domestic violence and spousal violence, family violence that happens in our society. We wouldn't have this if what we were doing in mental health was working. So I would like to see a progression in, you know, the, in the models that we are uh, using to deliver our mental health. I'd like to see progress, more progress in yeah, our approaches, our frameworks, our principles. And I'd like to see us learn from First Nations people in Australia from, from our work in the mental health, trauma-informed care space, cultural safety space, social and emotional well-being spaces. Because as a little-known fact in, in Australia is that, you know, First Nations people in Australia because of their suffering through colonization, because of the policies of forced removal and assimilation, because of the systemic racism and the violence that's portrayed. You know, there's a Royal Commission into Black Deaths in Custody. There is a sad fact that there's hundreds of Black Deaths in Custody in this country and not one conviction has ever been made. First Nations people in this country, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, and our peak bodies, they know a lot about mental health. They know a lot about cultural safety and trauma-informed care, <clears throat> a lot about inclusivity, you know, diversity and inclusion. This stuff comes natural to our, our ways of doing and being, you know. Our mainstream system is, is trying to put together a fragmented society through these policies, through these movements about equality and fairness and diversity and inclusion. You know, that's our society's attempt to put together a fragmented society. In our First Nations um, um, cultural protocols, this stuff comes naturally. You know, I've been to many, many conferences 
men's health conferences. I've heard peak body representatives from men's health stand up and go, you guys are leading this space with your men's groups. What you're doing, what you've been able to achieve in your men's groups for your community, that's what we're following, you know? Because we've been doing this stuff for a long, long time. And, you know, the men's sheds only came about in recent decades, but we've been doing this for many, many decades before that. First Nations people have a lot to offer and a lot to give, and we want to contribute to the greater society. Well, I'm keen to unpack those a little bit more. And obviously, in your work, insights will would have emerged through COVID-19, but as you alluded to, Ken, we've got the opportunity to progress the models and the ways of understanding when we work with mental health issues across the community. What insights or or nuances uh, have emerged for you that you can offer our listeners today? I don't have all the answers, Tom, Um, but I certainly can speak from experience now. I've got about two and a half decades of experience in the cold face and mental health and social emotional well-being, trauma-informed spaces. What I've observed is that there's been an elephant in the room for, for way too long. I go to forums, I go to conferences, and I see 500 people sitting in a room and there's a psychiatrist or a psychologist researcher giving a presentation about mindfulness, which is a wonderful thing because the Western psychology and psychiatry fraternity have gone to the Eastern wisdom traditions and, and, have, and have realized that Western practices like cognitive behavioral therapy can be very limited when working with people who are highly aroused through trauma because the brain doesn't function until the uh, level of arousal can be lowered. And so um, going to the Eastern wisdom traditions and and then working that with the Western uh, science approaches um, has been a wonderful emergence and a wonderful progress. It's been the biggest thing in mental health in the last 10 years. But the elephant in the room is that we're here in Australia and we have our First Nations culture and practices and we have our First Nations wisdom traditions that are very similar to that of the Zen Buddhist traditions where we take mindfulness from. We've got it here in our backyard. So as a First Nations person sitting in that audience, it's like, hello, it's okay to do that, but why are you talking about that when you could be working with with us, you could be doing research with us, you could be incorporating this stuff into your practice. Why aren't you doing that? And, And why aren't we getting acknowledged for what we have to offer? You know, it's kind of that psychology of terra nullius almost, you know, like you guys don't exist. And a lot of that's subconscious, I'm sure. People aren't aware of it, but First Nations people certainly feel it. I'm hearing mindfulness, 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 but we've got something called the the Dathiri, the D-A-D-I-R-R-I, or Didiri, which translates to quiet stillness, inner contemplation, listening with more than the ears, deep calling to deep for action now and later. If you sit and you meditate on that, that's about a very deep sense of connection, a very deep sense of intuition, a conscious, like expanding a conscious awareness. And that's what you need practice in if you're going to be able to be successful at teaching someone as a practitioner in mental health, teaching someone the necessary skills to overcome an emotional disturbance that might lead to an impulsive addiction action, or it might lead to a violent outburst. So that's the kind of thing that a practitioner needs in their toolkit before they even begin their skills training on how to regulate emotions, how to uh, manage distress, build distress tolerance how to teach people how to communicate 
when it's a difficult conversation, you know, getting your needs met without damaging relationships, that kind of stuff. Yeah, the whole breakthrough in the mental the whole focus now on mental health, the chief medical officer's um, portfolio, I'm pushing for us to put down the mindfulness to some degree and take up the Indigenous wisdom tradition that's here in our backyard, part of the jewel of this country, the jewel of this nation, which is our First Nations uh, people and their culture and our culture and what we, what we bring. But first, we've got to get through this psychology of terra nullius, land belonging to no one. You guys don't exist, you know, and a great exercise to do that, Tom, <laughs> that any listener can do wherever they are right now. They can look out the window and they can think about their connection to place. So right now I'm looking out the window, I'm seeing Piedmont. So what's this place? You know, what was the name of this place 200 years ago? You know, who was here then? And just imagine, like reimagine it. And then you get an experience of, it's not land belonging to no one. Mm. Um, there's a story here, you know, and we're all connected to that story. Mm. And, and we, we all we all own it. It's ours to share. And unfortunately, it comes with some hard truths and some ugly stuff. But it's all it's all ours to share. But don't focus on the bad stuff. Focus on the on the strengths. You know, mm. focus on the strengths and build on that. Um, and then free yourselves of guilt. You know, free yourselves of any guilt or any bother or any stress that's associated with thinking those thoughts. Because I know that there's a lot of discomfort around those conversations, those ideas, those thoughts, you know, in the spirit of, spirit of reconciliation, you know, it's time for us to mature as a nation, our own our history, embrace it, share it. Let's get honest. Let's tell the truth. Nobody should be persecuted. This is not about blaming anyone. It's just about how we get, get on. And it's about respect for both parties. That's an incredible answer. Uh, and um, it's definitely one that's hard to follow up uh, speaking about because you're asking us to reflect and just like you, I look outside my house right now, I look outside the window on a beautiful day and, and think to myself, what is the story here? How are we all connected in this, both in terms of past and present but also future? I think you're, you're right, Cam, there is a huge opportunity for us as we as we have time to reflect and as we emerge from COVID-19 to, to look at how we do things, to look at the, as you said, the models and the ways of thinking that have existed in this nation for a very long time in terms of how we approach mental health, how we approach trauma and ultimately how we approach healing. In your yeah. opinion, what's the one key thing you think that we need to keep doing as organisations or as practitioners, particularly as we see restrictions start to relax across the country? Yeah, good question, Tom. Um, when you were speaking, I was thinking about what I've noticed in my neighbourhood. You know, I've noticed people, people saying g'day more. You know, we live in the city and it's busy and people don't say g'day in the city when they walk past you. You, you get that in the country. You go to nice, you know, beautiful places like Wagga Wagga and, you know, Western New South Wales or... People, you know, say g'day when they walk past you or they help you out. But I've seen people in my neighbourhood saying g'day more, seeing them be more, a little bit more open and friendly and people are more talkative and it's wonderful. I'd like to see that continue because I feel like we've all kind of been through something of a crisis and we've all kind of come out the other side. So we're all kind of bonded, we bonded on this crisis and now we're a bit closer. Um, I'd like to see that continue. 
I was at the Aboriginal Medical Service yesterday and just the way that our, our organisations have responded to this crisis has been incredible. You know, the, the level of professionalism and initiative. Now our communities were the first ones to close the gates, to shut down um, before we got the directives from uh, local government. Our communities are shut down two weeks before that. So just, you know, you can't walk into the Aboriginal Medical Service now without getting your temperature taken, getting the five question quiz and, you know, the seatings are organised and everything's been, everything is just very, very clinical. You know, the doctors and psychologists are all doing telehealth and, yeah, you know, access to medical care and mental health care has become much, much easier for us, for us all. I think that's a wonderful thing, you know. Anybody who's been putting off getting a well person shit, get out there and get it. And the same with psychology. Anybody who's contemplating seeing a psychologist, don't wait for it. Just uh, call up and you can get a, you can get an appointment within less than a week. Um, it's been wonderful, and we've seen people flock to the online um, our online community healing and cultural leadership program from all over the country. In actual fact, we had someone from London last Monday night. We've got people from Western Australia, from Newcastle, all over Sydney, Canberra, Tasmania, Brisbane, North Queensland. That's been an interesting thing that hadn't happened before because of COVID-19. And when we go back to normal, when the Redfern Community Centre opens up and we go back to our circle groups, we're going to continue the online aspect of it. We're going to use the technology with the cameras and we're going to have the online group join us uh, and the real, the, the real group or the physical group in the circle. So that's going to be a pretty awesome thing as a result of COVID-19. Mm. Uh, services and businesses. Well, you know, there's been a really, a really interesting change in the working from home space. So people are getting to spend more time with their families, it's less strain on the public on the public transport system, on the road systems, less pollution out there. Um, people are spending less on transport, which will help them because their incomes have been hit. And even before their incomes were hit, before COVID-19, you know, financial stress was a major issue. Mortgage, mortgage stress is at historical highs. You know, consumer debts at historical highs. We're at this, you know, we were very, very comfortable in the lead up toward the COVID-19 crisis. And I think, you know, like we've just had like 30, 20 years of, 20 years of boom, economic boom. There's a generation out there that have never seen hardship, that have never had to budget, that have never had to say, oh, I can't afford that pair of shoes this week. So yeah, the new norm. So there's lots of things that, that, that I hope will, will continue. I think the most important one for me is, um, the uh, community spirit, the, you know, the camaraderie, the mateship, the, um, you know, that kind of Australian way of being ready to help out a mate. And that goes across cultures, across mm. religions, across faiths, you know, that element is what I would love to see continue the most post the COVID-19 crisis. And it's definitely been something that we've seen emerge and, and no doubt something that community organisations can play a key role in in continuing to encourage as we uh, see restrictions relax and as we see things go back to what feels like a, a bit of normality. I just want to say thank you, Ken, for joining us today. Thanks, Tom. You're a great host and it's a pleasure to be, uh, be here. Um, if you want to get in touch with Ken, um, you can check our podcast notes for some more information, but also make sure you connect with him on LinkedIn and also follow Gamarata Universal Indigenous Resources. I know they've got now over 15,000 followers, but I'm sure they want you as well. 
I want to acknowledge that uh, we are in uncertain times. COVID-19 obviously threw us uh, a few curveballs, to say the least. And as we emerge from uh, the restrictions and step through phase two, three and beyond, obviously there are going to be challenges and and, uh, I guess opportunities that come with that when we work with communities. These are the things that we'll continue to explore as part of our COVID-19 specials. Thanks to you for joining us and please get in touch with us if you have any thoughts or questions. Stay well, speak again soon and this is Tom Nance signing off. Thanks for listening to Build Beyond Bricks by Western Sydney Community Forum. The region's Social Development Council, providing programs, services, analysis and insights. To learn more, visit us at wscf.org.au.